Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Honestly, on a daily basis, I like to have one sample come in to see if I like it personally before I even put it on the shelves. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to get your first 1,000 Instagram followers, how to run your business on social selling sites, and what it means when you have a high engaging but low sales product. Today, I'm joined by Anna D from Alien Outfitters. Alien Outfitters is a lifestyle brand that sells a variety of graphic tees, kinky accessories, rainbow knives, and rare specialty items, and was started in 2011 and based out of North Carolina. Welcome, Anna. Thanks. A very interesting uh, niche, interesting products that I just listed there. Tell us a little bit more about the, the business. Like, w- describe your, your typical customer to us. Well, uh, we started the whole online retail store in 2011, and I started just like a lot of people on Etsy and eBay, um, making handmaking a lot of my products. Um, and over the past few years, we finally transitioned to Shopify and rebranded into Alien Outfitters. Uh, I like to say that we sell a, a wide variety of unique items, all catered to girls who aren't afraid to be themselves. And we are the only online destination where you can buy clothing, blades, adult toys, and smoking accessories all in the same place. So it's a it's a very unique website, and I'd like to say our customer is very unique as well. Very cool. So all those types of accessories that you mentioned, they are typically ones that a lot of entrepreneurs avoid because it's harder to to advertise, right? You know, you have advertising platforms that don't allow things like adult toys or or any form of like paraphernalia that that that's could be smoking or whatever else that that you might have on the store. Is that has that posed an issue for you in terms of getting the I guess the word out because advertising platforms are, you know, oftentimes uh you know pretty uh, I guess tight about those those policies. Absolutely. It's been a huge obstacle to overcome. And one of the biggest was with our payment processor, because there's a lot of payment processors that won't allow that along with, you know, social media platforms, like you suggested. But I think it also is an advantage for our store because there are not many online retailers providing the products we provide. And as I pack the orders myself, I start to see these patterns of girls who are buying, you know, for example, the adult toys along with the smoking pipes. And it's interesting to see that this customer wants to buy all of these things in one place. And for the most part, they don't want to do it in person. And, you know, online retail is the perfect opportunity to do that. So there's definitely the advantages and disadvantages, but it's nice to have a product that we can claim that is exclusively available at our store versus uh, most 
clothing brands who offer similar items. So it definitely has its ups and downs, but we've learned over the years that it's more of an advantage for us than a disadvantage, I'd say. Mm, Yeah, it certainly helps you stand out. And like you're saying, there's not much competition that you have to stand out from because lots of stores do shy away from selling in those those industries. Now, when you you ran those issues with the payment processors or social media platforms, talk to us about how you, you work your way around those issues? Well, it happened, I think our first or second Black Friday where Shopify halted all of our payments. They kind of said they didn't realize we had certain products in our store and in their privacy policy, they couldn't process those payments. And I was in sheer panic. I was Googling, you know, payment processors that allow this and that. And luckily, a, a Shopify guru pointed me in the right direction. And we now use a processor called Authorize.net. And they process anything and everything. And it, I mean, they literally saved the day on Black Friday because you know how it is when you can't uh, get through that checkout screen. It definitely hurts the sales. But uh, once we started up and running with them, everything has been smooth sailing. And that was, again, one of the obstacles that we needed to encounter in order to better our back end. Um, and like you mentioned before, with the social media, you kind of learn when and where you can market these products. And like I said before, it's a lot harder Uh, particularly with Pinterest, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, But you you figure out along the way little loopholes and different ways to market uh, depending on your product. Right. I think it's interesting too where it's not just that they are not allowing you to post specific products and it could also just be because you're selling things like adult toys. And even if you're not advertising it or posting about it because it exists on your site, sometimes that's enough for the policies, I guess, to kick in and they will, well, you know, shut you down or you run into these issues, even if you're not actively promoting the products that they are, are, you know, quote unquote banning from their platforms. Now, you mentioned that you first started off on, on Etsy. What was, uh, was that your first business? Like what kind of, what's your background in, before getting involved in an online, you know, in, on e-commerce? Well, it's, it's kind of a, a <laughs> it's hard to put into words. I like to tell people that my success is built on mistakes. And when I was 17, I was hanging with the wrong crowd and I got a DUI. So I was kind of forced to stay at home. I didn't have a driver's license. And my friend had the bright idea of selling some of our stuff uh, in our closet on eBay. So we started just selling everything we had. And it was pretty exciting to see that you could really make a living off of just online retail. So I just kind of immersed myself in it and eBay really taught me the ground rules I needed to learn on just how to sell a product, how to ship it, you know, how to make the customer happy. And a lot of people around me were just kind of pushing me in this direction to get on Etsy and really start making a name for myself. And when you're young, you're just really open-minded to try everything and just like any 17, 18 year old, I was really into DIY and doing things myself. So I would go to uh, like Goodwill and thrift stores and find uh, leather, denim, 
any really nice material I could find and I would patch it up, I'd stud it up, and I like to call it an upcycling process to Mm -hmm. turn something that wasn't so nice to begin with into a beautiful creation. And that's kind of how my Etsy store started. And, you know, when you're teaching yourself how to build a brand, it's completely different than what eBay is teaching you. Etsy essentially is helping you with marketing and really creating this whole user experience. And I just felt, again, I was so immersed in it and almost obsessed with this brand that things just kind of got out of control. And uh, a singer, her name's Ellie Golding, if you're familiar with her, Mm -hmm. she uh, purchased a pair of tights off of my Etsy shop. And overnight, our traffic just started going crazy. And it was a little nerve wracking to see like, you know, one girl coming out of high school, not really sure if she should go to college or not. And now, you know, a celebrity across the world is buying a product from her. And a lot of girls who ask me how to start an online store, I highly recommend just starting with eBay to learn that process and then training with Etsy to really build that brand before, you know, you have, um, you know, the confidence to move to Shopify and let go of the platform restraint. Mm -hmm. Right. That makes sense. So what's, what's, uh, you know, on on eBay, you mentioned that one of the, the most important things you learned by starting there was how to make the customer happy. And I think this is the key to survival. A lot of times when you are starting out and you're just a small company, you're just a one person, uh, running this business, what what lessons did you learn here? Like, what are some key lessons that you think that other entrepreneurs should try to learn on how to make a customer happy? Well, I like to see the customer as myself and someone who does a lot of online shopping. I I feel like I know how to be treated as a customer, and I follow those rules when I'm treating a customer. And you know, whether they're spending five dollars or five hundred dollars. Each one is so valuable and you can't really discriminate between customers because inevitably they could all come back a week later, a year later to your store. And I really just try to treat them how I would want to be treated, like my friends. Um, And that's what's kind of cool about our stores, that the whole customer base is really this fan base of of love and positivity. And we all kind of feel as one based off of our uniqueness, the fact that we are all so different. So not only is it a place you can shop, but it's also a place where you can feel very welcome being yourself. Mm. Can you give examples of how you, you try to treat customers in, in a way that you want to be treated? Uh, I feel a lot of that has to do with customer service. If someone receives the wrong item or if something is damaged, it's the great opportunity to make it right. And not only do you want to replace their product, but you want to go above and beyond and say, hey, here's a gift card so you can give us another chance or you know, we'll add a few stickers or freebies to their replacement order. It's, it's really just going above and beyond to show that you really care. Um, because I feel like that, you know, being genuine is what a customer will remember versus an automated computer responding to them. So I try to, I handle all the customer service. I respond to every single email. Um, I never let 
anything just passed me by. Mm, makes sense. So when you transitioned from eBay over to Etsy, you mentioned that there was this new introduction of this new, uh, I guess, process that you had to, 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 to bring into, which is brand, building a brand. It was no longer just listing things on eBay and then not having a real brand presence on there. People were just searching for things and finding a product, but they weren't associating it with a brand. Now you're, you're on Etsy. You have a, a digital storefront on, on Etsy. Talk to us about what you had to actually do on a daily basis or a weekly basis to begin this process of building a brand on Etsy. Um, there was a few hurdles that, again, were so necessary to the learning experience. Uh, I feel like when you find your brand name, you have to all of a sudden uh, trademark it, copyright it, LLC it, whatever you do. There's just a long road of legalities ahead. And I used LegalZoom.com. I felt like they were really affordable um, You know, for starting small, not having that much money to invest in much. Um, so that was something necessary and not everyone knows what they're doing when it comes to legalities or things like accounting, but you really need to build that strong framework for your business because without that strong foundation, everything could collapse at any moment. So at the time I felt like I was digging a hole in my pocket, just paying for, you know, the domain space, all these trademarks, when in actuality, I couldn't be more thankful that I just got it over with. Um, another thing like accounting was pretty difficult. Uh, I, I use now a system through GoDaddy.com. It's a bookkeeping software that they offer and it pretty much uh, categorizes all my expenses for me. Um, it keeps track of everything going in and out and does a lot of the work that at the time I didn't know how to do and wish someone had told me. Um, another thing with the storefront is graphic design, which not everyone can just learn at any given moment. But I'm, I'm pretty proud to say I was part of the, the MySpace generation, so I knew a little bit of HTML off the top of my head. But that was something at the beginning that was taking up a lot of my time was, you know, designing logos and building this storefront. And I'm happy that I spent so much time and was very careful with the choices I made. But I also wish I had reached out to people who specialize in that, uh, just because it's it's a lot more difficult than you think. Yeah, now that you had the, so you had this legal framework, you had the, everything registered, you had uh, help with the accounting. So now that a lot of the, because uh, problems you didn't have to worry about on eBay now started to pop up on Etsy. How did you, what did you do to, 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 to build that brand so that the brand name of Alien Outfitters stuck in people's minds? Like, what did you have to do differently now that you were out on your own, essentially, or at least more out on your own, uh, to make sure that, that the brand was front and center and not just, you know, a place where people came by and bought products and didn't even care to see the, the brand associated with it? I have uh, two, two answers for that question. One, I think social media, the whole experience with the customer coming from a, a social media platform to the store, that's crucial. Um, that's kind of how our brand was built on was that 
engaging our customer directly from a platform and then B, the packaging experience is what we felt was keeping our customer around. So with Etsy, as you're building your brand, we or our brand, we felt that it was necessary to have packaging in place that would stand out from the rest. And think about it, when you go into a, a standalone store, you're getting the experience from the store, what you're seeing from the customer service in front of you. But when you're online, all of that's kind of behind a curtain. So I felt that when our customers opened our packages, we wanted you know, confetti literally to jump out at them so that they would remember how awesome it was to come to our store and we want them to come back. So I think social media is a crucial factor into building that brand and creating those hashtags for your brand, having your customers post photos and hashtag those photos. But also I think the word of mouth about how awesome the unboxing experience is, is what really kept our customer coming back and all of our reviews being extremely positive. Mm, that makes sense that by having a presence on social media and having your customers talk about your, your, your brand, your products is one of the best ways to develop some, I guess, evidence of a brand. And I think people do pay attention to that. They, they do will, they will go and check out your, your Instagram profile to see if you have a presence or not. And I think when you're on, you're on a website like eBay, it doesn't kind of, it doesn't really make sense, right? To have, uh, an Instagram right away because people might not even bother to, to look you up. But then once you have your own storefront, it certainly, makes sense and not having any presence outside of your Etsy store can certainly hurt you because people might not think that you're legit legitimate or that you don't have a strong brand. Um, so now that you had success on Etsy, like how much time were you were you on there before you decided to branch off and then open up your own uh, you know your own owned domain uh, through Shopify? Well, I was on Etsy, I want to say, for about two years, and and we still are that way. Our products are on more platforms, but with Etsy, it's really a handmade market along with vintage items, and I started seeing real profits in reselling items that weren't just handmade by myself, and I just had one of those breakdown moments where I was just working way too hard and I was trying to figure out how to work smarter and there were there was just a lot of products that I wanted to sell on Etsy that weren't allowed so the only way that seemed possible was to open a storefront where I could sell my handmade items along with reselling similar products so I think that's where Etsy kind of or I just I guess I surpassed what I wanted to do. And I, everything just kept growing and growing. And I think a lot of people experience that where you just outgrow where you are. And it just meant that we were ready to open a new door, which was uh, Shopify. Mm, so this bottleneck that you, you experienced by not, by, by not being able to sell certain products that you wanted to sell. And also because on Etsy, you were forced to sell only handmade products and you weren't able to sell or resell other, uh, you know, vendors products. You decided to open up your own store, your, your Shopify store. Can you give us an idea of how much of an impact this made on your business? Like how much did it grow once you moved from selling handmade products to reselling products? 
products as well on your on your Shopify store? It, I mean, it grew at such light speed that I was able within, I want to say within 90 days to afford the car of my dreams and to help my mom pay her rent. It was it was a lot to digest when numbers started coming in like that. And I strongly and firmly believe so much had to do with our loyal following and whether we were on eBay, Etsy or Shopify, they just stood right by us. And I would particularly myself go on social media and I would talk to our fans about our transition, where we were going. And I think that honesty helped our customer remember that, you know, we are real people too. And just engaging with them on that level helped the loyalty when we were bouncing around different uh, platforms. But there was just so much we could finally do when we went over to Shopify and the help that Shopify gave us with the apps that they have. I can't even put into words how much that fueled the growth. And I had no idea of it until I kind of jumped into this new world. And I finally realized that I wouldn't have to go to college because I was creating my career right in front of my Mm -hmm. eyes without myself even knowing it. Um, So that I have to say, every time we transitioned, every time we grew or rebranded, it always growth was always the effect to that. Mm. Now, you when you transitioned from from Etsy over to Shopify, you had this big uh, boost in in revenue. Was this? Did you already have at this point a pretty large Instagram following? Like, how did how were you able to kickstart the success on on Shopify essentially so easily? For for it sounds like at least uh, very quickly uh, for for you. We definitely had a few hundred thousand followers, so it definitely helped. And Snapchat had just started off and was extremely popular. So we just tried to ride the bandwagon of all the new social media platforms and, you know, kind of went on a whirlwind between those. Every time we made a post, we just made sure it was posted on all 10 plus uh, avenues to get as much much exposure as we could. Uh, but the following definitely helped. And it's hard to tell someone how to generate that large of a following because we never paid for any of our followers. It's always been raw, organic, uh, word of mouth. So it's I really don't have that much advice on how to gain that follower since it, it just happened for us. So it's hard to um, kind of explain how to do it without just giving it your all and pouring your heart and soul into it. And I think that's what people see in our brand and they latch onto that and they relate to that. Mm. Yeah. Maybe you didn't have a grand plan to, to grow your, your Instagram following to almost half a million followers at this point. Uh, But what did, what did you do on a, maybe a day to day basis back in the early days to get to your, you know, your first thousand followers? So Instagram is tricky and they keep changing it, which makes it even trickier. Um, But there are a few things I did. Um, If we did have a competitor, I would go to our competitors page and perhaps uh, follow some of their followers to say, hey, you might like what we have if you like what they have. Um, Another example would be to go on the popular page and 
leave comments and likes to pretty much strangers, but just finding your audience and talking to them. And this is all like a manual approach that that you took? Yes, 100%. And I know it takes time and I'm sure you could always have a friend hang out and do it with you, open some wine and just (laughs) go on Instagram and talk to strangers. But anything like that, as far as manual work to uh, get your posts across the board and engaging with the users is the most important thing. And do you still do that or have to have to do that these days or is the growth like pretty much not automated, but because you have such a large following already, does it, do your current, you know, followers just help spread the message or do you still use these uh, techniques? Yeah. I mean, the followers definitely are putting in the work at this point. If we, Uh, post something and it gets thousands of comments, the comment section is where they are, you know, telling their friends about us, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's not as much as me reaching out anymore. It's more of me deleting people and deleting comments, um, you know, that are hate comments and Mm -hmm. whatnot. So the anxiety kind of leans more towards uh, filtering out the bad eggs versus finding Um, new customers Mm, mm because once you reach those numbers it just generates itself now do you remember like an inflection point where that happened where you were no longer the largest source of uh, followers and your your followers started bringing in you know more people i guess than than you were doing yourself Yes, it's kind of a large gray area. And when you're immersed in almost every aspect of the business, it's hard to pinpoint those certain changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the when we reached, I want to say 250,000 followers, I felt like that was the tipping point because you used to get excited about every 50K you would get. And then I realized, you know, our next tipping point is going to be 500,000, then it's going to be a million. So once you hit those numbers, it's very <laughs> nerve wracking and kind of bittersweet. Yeah, I do wonder, you know, once you have such a large audience, you have such a huge megaphone, is it more nerve wracking on what you should be posting like how you should be presenting yourself? Like how you've been able, how have you experienced that? Uh, I 100% agree. The more uh, eyes that are on you, the scarier it is to stay honest and be yourself. And I think that's a lesson that I take upon myself every day to try and continue to follow is to not filter myself a certain way just because um, a certain audience is looking at me. And I think, again, that's something that's so unique about our brand is that we aren't going to change in that way. We're always going to be loud and notice and crazy and different. And I think our customer is, and that's why there's this amazing bond that we have. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned that you are on a ton of platforms and you, you any new ones that are gaining steam, you guys try to be on. Uh, what's been the most uh, successful platforms for you today? So I would have to say my top two right now are Poshmark and I think it, you say it's called Depop. I think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> um, but Poshmark and Depop, they are two new applications, uh, very similar to Etsy and eBay, uh, kind of like a selling stuff. But they're definitely two of my favorite apps that we're using right now. Uh, you can definitely see the 
the range of users are definitely more of our youth and a lot of Instagram famous models. They go on their page and they promote their customers to shop their Depop closet or their Poshmark closet. So those are, um, I'd say, the top two that we're into right now. Also, oh, these are like social media platforms, but also you can sell on them. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Got it. Now, when you when you come across these, like, how do you decide? Because you know, there's so many that pop up all the time, and you, it sounds like what's worked for you is to get in early. But how do you know which ones to actually invest your your time into? Like, what are you looking at to decide? Okay, you know, Instagram was working for me for a while, and now let me try to devote some time to Depop. Like, how did you know to to divert your attention there? I think a lot of it has to do with the inspiration that I follow. And if I see that they're using something and they are seeing good feedback from it, then I will perhaps jump on that bandwagon. And it's easy if you are constantly immersed in social media because you get to see what people are liking, what people aren't. I think a good example was the Periscope app where you can go live and talk to anyone in the world. And of course we signed up for it and it just, it wasn't really a platform that we needed. So I kind of figured out pretty quickly that it wasn't something I would put my time and energy in, but I wouldn't have learned that had I not tried it. So the best thing I would say is just to try everything. And if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't move on. Mm. How, how do you know how much time to give? Because I think, you know, you'll, especially when people are starting out for the first time, they don't have that confidence in their, I guess, you know, their, their decision making. They see everyone say, oh, you have to be on, on, you know, Pinterest, you have to be on Depop and they go on there and it's not a, not the best fit, right? They could be spending their time better elsewhere, but they just maybe think that they're not doing it right. They need to devote more time to it. I think that's a challenge for a lot of, uh, you know, newer entrepreneurs to decide if when to pull out of a, of you know, a time investment and and go somewhere else. How did how do you know when is the right time to make that decision? Well, there's a fine line where you figure out what you're spending too much time on and time is money. So if you realize you're spending the majority of your time just listing things on different platforms, then you need to sit down and say, Hey, is there a friend or family relative that could come over once or twice a week and help me list these certain things? And that was something very helpful for me in the beginning. If I did a huge, um, thrift store hall, I would have, you know, my mom or a friend come over and one of us would take pictures. One of us would list the items. Um, and I would kind of oversee and, you know, you can pay people in different ways. Some people just want to hang out and enjoy your company, but I saw in different circumstances where my time was too important for one thing. And I think listing product is so time consuming. So if you, can speak up, make a Facebook post, you know, see if there's someone who wants to intern for you, put it on their resume. It's a great way to reach out um, and get help for things that are just way too time consuming. Got it. So you basically try to improve your process so that you can test new platforms more quickly and, you know, not spend so much of your, your time, which can be more valuable elsewhere doing those tasks. Now, I was going to ask, you know, how do you, how do you at a high level, how do you manage 
all of these different platforms that that you're on and you know onboarding new platforms like is there a you know a master process for for controlling or keeping an eye on all of these for me i am really hard on myself when it comes to scheduling but i've also seen other people use different apps websites and tools to help with other product inventory across the board but i myself i'm pretty good about it and i definitely have a schedule Sunday to Saturday and certain days are list days. Certain days can be Poshmark days. And as long as you delegate your time fairly and also allow yourself some free time and some balance, I think that's key. But if you're going to be your own boss, then you have to set scheduled times to do things that aren't so fun that will definitely pay dividends in the end. Got it. So you mentioned listing a couple of times. Does, this, does that mean that a big part of your job today is just testing new products on all of these platforms? Yes. And we live in a world where it's all new, 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 and people want what's new. So we're constantly trying to have new products, um, being the first to have this, the first to have that. So I think the buying process is very important when it comes to having new inventory. So it's it's a constant struggle of buying and listing and selling, buying, listing, selling. Mm-hmm. How many pro- new products are, are we talking about? Like how many a day or a week or or was your goal to 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 um to roll out for all your for your site? Honestly, on a daily basis, I like to have one sample come in to see if I like it personally before I even put it on the shelves. But I'd say on a daily basis. Wow. So what's your process for for finding and researching the these products? Do you have like a, a main supplier? Like what is because you have so many new products coming in, I, I do wonder like what is the the supply chain, I guess, like for that you've built out? We get so many different things from so many different people and I think that's why I could never give the job of buying to someone else besides myself because it's all not coming from one place. For example, our in-house brand, we get from one supplier in the U.S. Everything's hand-printed for our brand. But other things like accessories, um, shoes, these are all coming from different manufacturers who constantly are sending us new lookbooks, new products, um, but other than that, a lot of my manufacturers, I like to keep on the down low and not <laughs> give those secrets out uh, just because it took so long sure. for me to find a lot of them. But when people say, you know, hey, where do you go to buy stuff? My first instinct is go to Goodwill because that is a gold mine. <laughs> you know, there's treasure in the trash. Yeah, I mean, you don't definitely don't want to give out your suppliers, but like when you, let's say you do go to Goodwill and you find some interesting products, like how do you go from there to finding a, a supplier to get you, uh, you know, a whole inventory full of, of that product? Well, a lot of the times I'm on social media and I'll see something in my feed and my first instinct is, oh my God, I have to have that. And then my second instinct is, no, I have to sell that. And you just, you know, you ask the person who posted it where they got it, or you go on Google and you search for some terms that might uh, help you find the product. And it's as simple as that. There's so much information on the internet and all you have to do is 
search for it, find it, and simply ask if they wholesale. And most of the time they do. Got it. And what's that turnaround time typically when you do uh, find a product that you like? Like how quickly have you been able to get that from seeing a product that you like to saying I need to, need to buy this, I need to sell this, and then actually having it on your store? It depends how fast the manufacturer can give us the quantity that we need. Uh, another great idea is to put things on pre-order. So if we receive an item that I know is going to be great, um, I test it myself first and then get it listed on the site. And then we will advertise that it's up for pre-order. That way you can get an idea of how many people want to order it. And it's mm-hmm. also helpful for the manufacturer so they know if they need to you know, make 20 versus 200 and it, it gives you this kind of safe space where the customer can, you know, you can get the sale from the customer um, and also give it to them in an allotted amount of time. Mm. And when you get these samples prior to listing them on, on your site, uh, if you weren't going the pre-order route, what are, you, what are you looking for to determine if it's a product that's worthy of, uh, of you selling it? I think it's a, a sixth sense that I have. And a lot of people who are in online retail and e-commerce, they can agree with what I mean when you have something and you love it so much that you fully endorse it. And for me, a typical process of seeing if a product is good enough is simply by wearing it or using it for even a day or a week's time. And if it's still in the condition it was, and if it's still as likable as it was when I first saw it, then in my eyes, it's a winner. And hey, sometimes you hit or miss. Sometimes it's not as great as you thought it would be. And that's when you put it on sale. Mm-hmm. Now, when you see others selling that same product, uh, let's say that you, you find a product that you see on Instagram or on Depop and you're like, wow, this is something that I want. And then you start saying, oh, this is something I want to sell. And, but you see other people selling it already. Do you get encouraged or discouraged when you see that? Well, it is the name of the game. And it's I think it's a positive competitive spirit that also fuels you to keep going and stay passionate. And it all depends on the product. If it is a best-selling product, but everyone and their mother is selling it, then I'd say, hey, continue selling it if it's selling. But if it's something everyone has and it's not selling so well for you, then I would say dump it and put your energy into something completely new, completely different that people can't replicate. Mm-hmm. And what do you, when you do list the product on your site, do you what are you what are you looking for to see if it's a if it's going to be successful enough for you to order more or if it's not going to do well and you decide to to put it on sale like what what are you looking at Um I start with the number starting with the sample item at 1 and then I'll buy 4 then it turns to 12 then to 24 and that is something I've just done over the years that has helped so I'm not investing too much and kind of playing it safe from the beginning stage. But it's very different with every product. Once again, a lot of our items are so novelty that people will rant and rave about them on social media, but they won't perhaps purchase the item for themselves if it's along the lines of a gag gift, would you say? But 
again, it's different for every product. And there's been times where we thought something was going to be great and it didn't do so good. And again, you just learn and move on. Yeah, this is an issue where uh, an entrepreneur will list a product on their Facebook ads or on Facebook uh, on their page or on Instagram or whatever platform they, they're using, and it gets a ton of engagement, right? A lot of people are, are interested in it, they're liking it, they're commenting on it, and then they end up selling none of it or selling very little of it. What, what, what's, what are your thoughts on like Why does that happen? Like why, do, why are there some products that get a lot of engagement, a lot of people interested in it, but no one's buying it? Well, it's, it's like when you see a girl in, in the mall and she's trying on some diamond encrusted shoes that are glorious, but she has nowhere to wear them. So mm. she's not going to get them. It's just not practical. Um, so there's, again, it, it's so vague and different from product to product, from person to person. And again, so you have to try to find this fine line between novelty and practicality, I'd say. Yeah, it's one of those things that if you put a product out there that is just super interesting and it generates a lot of conversation, but no one actually wants to use it or wear it. Like you're saying, it's not a practical product for them. It might be interesting to look at, interesting to comment on, interesting to share, but no one's actually going to make use of it. I think that's a um, a, a gap that a lot of uh, store owners might might fall into, which is that interesting product, but just not something not something that people would actually want to use on a daily basis or or use at all. Um, so you mentioned uh, as well uh, offline uh, or off this interview with me that you use a lot of email marketing to help uh, help uh, with the store. Talk to us about that. Like, what's your your, what's your email marketing strategy? We're using MailChimp right now. And I feel like we like to let our customers know once a week about the new products we have. And we typically like to do a sale once a month or every season. And email marketing is one-on-one engagement with our customer. And since we can't take advantage of social media marketing, for the most part, our email marketing is what we lean on when it comes to getting out new products and getting everyone excited about what's to come. And we recently have been working with an app called Gift Wizard. And they are helping us create these email campaigns that offer gift cards within the campaign. So, for example, you could uh, release a campaign giving out $5 to everyone on your subscriber list, which is a great way to entice customers to come shop at your store. And that's just a new marketing technique that we've been using that we find to be extremely valuable. And it lets the customer know, like, hey, we care about your wardrobe, come in, here's some credit, Uh, it's on us. And I think they really appreciate that. Yeah, and I think one of the benefits of the kind of business that you have is that you always have new products, so you always have a reason or I guess an excuse, right, to reach out to to your past customers, get them to come back. Um, And because there's this constant, almost like chase for the next product, uh, for, for you and for your business, are there some products that are, I guess, evergreen that, that are just have been around for, you know, the last few years that you've been uh, on, on your own store? Yes, I would say that is our knife section, our weaponry that we have. And we have such a wide variety of it. We have a few hundred uh, blades that we offer and they're all very, I would say rainbow uh, holographic titaniums and they're just super unique knives that are targeted to women. 
um, targeted to help uh, you defend yourself if needed, God forbid. Uh, but I feel that a lot of girls are kind of starting these knife collections, which is just really interesting because when I started the store, I, I didn't even think anything of it. I uh, simply had a knife collection of my own and all my girlfriends would always ask where I got these things. And, you know, down the road, I felt like it was something that would sell. And ironically enough, they have, and they are constantly selling, uh, whether it's a holiday or not, we seem to just be throwing knives in so many of these orders, which is, is really awesome. Do you have to market these kind of products, uh, differently? Not, not that's not because they're knives, but because they are products that just seem to sell themselves for, for longer periods of time than your other products. Do you try to market them differently? Um, if we do market the knives, it's typically in a sale where we will be offering a percentage off of that certain collection. But again, high risk, high reward. This is an item where you need to make sure your legalities are in check. You need to make sure your privacy policy is, um, you just need to all across the board, make sure your website is safe enough. So people are legally purchasing these items, if that makes sense. Uh, we, we encountered a situation where my lawyer said, Hey, you need to have a pop-up on your website that says, are you 18 and up before you enter? Um, cause that would save us a lot of, uh, grief down the road and just certain little things like that so that you can sell these specialty items. Yeah, it's funny. When I got that pop-up going to your site, it actually made me more interested in, oh man, what kind of stuff are they selling on here because of that, are you 18 and up? I actually got a different response to it than, than you probably initially expected. It made me, want, made me more interested in, in the products rather than you know, being worried about what you're selling. Um, so do you ever, you know, because you're putting so many products into your store, do you ever remove products? Like what's the process, what's the the uh, the thought process, I guess, behind whether you should keep a product in your store or remove it? Well, the great thing about Shopify is they allow you to drop your own reports. So I could go into our sticker and patch collection and I could see over the past year or the past month, how many items in this collection have sold. And I'm going to look at the items that aren't selling and make a mental note that when they sell out, that we need to remove these and make space for newer and better products that are going to sell faster. Is there a number of products that you tried or number of SKUs that you try to stay under? I've never really thought about that, but our website... If you go to the view all products, you're going to see between five to 10 pages of products. And that's where we've always felt safe, I'd say. But it could change down the road. Got it. And you know, speaking of your site, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the, the applications, whether they be Shopify apps or apps outside of Shopify that, that you rely on to help run the business? Yes, I'd love to because... Had I known about these Shopify apps sooner, I would have merged to Shopify way, way sooner than I had. Um, so the first one I'm going to mention is Kit, K-I-T. Uh, I refer to her as a female, but she is a wonderful app where you can get your Facebook analytics. You can create retargeting ads to your customers who might have put stuff in the shopping cart but then never checked out. 
and she's super affordable. You can text her on your phone to get her to work, to create campaigns, et cetera. But she has been so helpful for me who someone who has no idea how to use Facebook when it comes to these analytics that they offer for the business side of things. Um, so she's been very helpful. And I mentioned to you earlier about gift wizard. It's a, a gifting app where your customers, instead of checking out for themselves, they can send their purchase as a gift. And it has all these customizations for the buyer versus the receiver and the app is now offering uh, email campaigns to send out gift cards to your customers, which we highly recommend. There's uh, two more apps I want to tell you about. One is Photo Resize. And Photo Resize is an app that charges pennies to turn all your pictures into a square format. And years ago, I was resizing, I want to say, thousands of photos into this format before <laughs> I realized that an app could do it in literally minutes. Um, so that was something that saved me a lot of time. And not to mention on your website, it's really aesthetically pleasing when all of your photos are the same size and, you know, maybe have a white background as well. And the last one I'd like to tell you about is the cross sell application and cross sell is an app that allows you to suggest other products on the product page to your customer. That way you can upsell things that are similar that they might not have looked at on the site until the application pretty much does it for you. So those are the ones that I'm really into right now that I would recommend to others. Yeah, it certainly sounds like a lot of time-saving applications, which I think is, like you mentioned before, time is money, especially when you are running lean. Uh, now, can you give us an idea of of the success, the growth of the the business? Any numbers you might be able to share on, on how successful you've been able to to turn to grow this business? Sure. Well, last year we hit a goal of ours, which was to gross a half a million dollars, and this year we are on our way to grossing our first million, which is still unbelievable that it, that's even coming out of my mouth. But um, on a good day, we generate at least 50 sales. Um, if we do a, a big sale over the weekend, we can expect um, upwards to a thousand orders. So that's typically what we go through day to day basis. Wow. Very amazing. So what's the, the goal then? Like what's next after you hit this, this 1 million this year? Like Where do you want to see the business next year? Honestly, my goal is just to be happy and to make sure my customer's happy. I never want money to get to my head in any certain way. And I feel like if you lose what you had when you started the business, that magic that you had at the beginning, you if you lose that, then your business will fail. So I think a lot of it is me just continually trying to find this magic within me and to offer it to the world. And I hate to kind of put any restraint or goals on myself because I don't want to get disappointed, I'd say. And I kind of run the business day to day and it's hard for me to sit down and look at it year to year. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'd rather be really grateful of what we have. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Anna. AlienOutfitters.com is the website. A-L-I-E-N-O-U-T-F-I-T-T-E-R-S.com. Thank you so much again. 
Thanks, Felix. It was great talking to you. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. We like to think of ourselves as the store that has done all the research for them. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.